Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 102. Small businesses are really pivoting, developing more digital business models and starting to engage also more in trade and leveraging digital technology to get to new markets and new customers. That was really phenomenal. I open the floor to any questions or responses, Kevin. I think just to reflect on a few points that have been made around data, I think in any business, especially women business, the more data you can give, the better. So to use an example, we have Companies House in the UK. You only need to put your current assets. You really need to separate what is cash at banks, what is stock, what is debtors, because how can you take an informed decision as a finance provider or a supplier to provide credit terms? So the more education around some quick wins is really important. We refer to invoice discount in export credit insurance. The concept is relatively straightforward. Yes, the execution is slightly different, but export credit insurance, effectively you could call it bad debt insurance, invoice discounting, you just discount an invoice. The concept is there and the understanding of it is there. And I think going forward, some of these simple explainers can, can really bring it out without having to go into the depth of how to do it. It's the simple practice. So going forward, thinking about distributed ledger technology and digital trade corridors, ESG ratings are going to be key, advanced supply chain data. So the more data that women can provide in the commercial invoice, the packing list, the origin certificates, the greater chance uh, that they'll have to access the finance system and trade finance the future. Thank you, Kevin. Some good points. Does anyone have any comments? So thank you, Kevin. And maybe my uh, input is less eloquent, but I want to uh, congratulate uh, the men in the room, because if we talk about quick win and we want to change the narrative and we want to make uh, leaders like Swift Capital thrive, we need men in the room. And I believe last year there were three men in the room. Today, there are 15. uh, Okay, we welcome you. We still outnumber you guys, but it's very, very promising. So I think these are also the very simple, logical steps that we can make if we talk about financial inclusion. We talk about everybody and let's not overlook half of the world population. There is such an incredible market out there. I think, Jennifer, you are proving the case by investing. And so collectively, we we need to invest in people like Jennifer to help her prove the case. Thank you, Mike. That's very kind. And I think Kevin is exactly right. That's what I was trying to bring through and what I was saying before is really being able to educate those entrepreneurs right from the beginning to establish their businesses in a way that they have the data systems they need because it's so critical in anything they want to do going forward. And to your point, the more those systems are robust and strong and efficient for them to use, the better able they are going to going to be to access various products and services. And just a, a comment that I didn't make before about the data, but Kevin, you brought it up with respect to ESG. When I was talking before about the gender of It's not just about gender disaggregated data. What this tool is all about is, and the reason why we've put it in place, is about 
about how do we use data to support the closing of gaps for women's economic empowerment. So looking at holistically at the business, ROI in this case standing for resilience, opportunity and inclusion. Why We all know why resilience is important, why we need women involved in economies to make those economies resilient, why we need the women themselves to be resilient. Opportunities about ensuring that every woman in the world has the opportunities available for them and thinking about what companies need in place to ensure that's going to happen. And inclusion in this case being, once we've given those women the opportunities, we need to ensure that they're working in an inclusive environment. And then from a enterprise perspective, we're thinking about it from a leadership, a value, a, a, sorry, a leadership workforce value chains and society perspective. And the thing is, if we introduce this to as many companies as we can, and we encourage the leadership and the systems of those companies to think about these metrics over time, it means that those companies need to start having conversations with their suppliers, with their customers, and it creates this wonderful circle. So we get more and more of this data, and then we can respond to these questions around why different uh, capital providers are not getting involved to, uh, to support the developments we need on the trade finance side. Thank you very much. And I think, did we have another comment question over here? Okay. First of all, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Irina Mugioni. Today I'm presenting GDSI, an Irish uh, consulting company. I was at the UN for a long time, so a lot of people uh, know me for my affiliation. I moved on, so there is a life after the UN. Since I left uh, the COVID, everybody thought I was in isolation because of the COVID, but it's good to meet again. And I, I was a regular at the WTO public forum, so it's good to have it again and thriving in person, finally. I have some remarks. Uh, they were first triggered by your comment on the trade finance, because in the past three years, I've been working on, on new instruments at the regional level. Because I'm a gender champion, I was trying to advise on how to integrate the gender in new regional initiatives that are being studied. And unfortunately, I realized by looking at the data, unfortunately, if there are limitations, there are data. One of the main issues that women are not uh, women entrepreneurs or women as a consumer not integrated in the value chain sufficiently to make a difference. So a lot of the um, credit or different financial vehicles that we have don't touch a lot of women, neither as a consumer or as a, a business, because they are not yet in the supply chain, integrated in the value chain. So we have to make that effort to make it happen. Some of it is education, but a lot of it is also developing these soft skills that women do not yet uh, master. One of that is calculating risk, and uh, women are too risk-adverse, or they lack the self-confidence. Sometimes it's a societal issue, but it's also something that you need to challenge yourself and learn how to move on and do it. You know, by doing it, by practicing this uh, risk-taking and calculating how you can get there, move to the next ladder, uh, you can make a change. But also we need to activate agent of change in the community. And maybe this is something that if we work together, we can do. Thank you very much, Fiorina and Marion. Thank you for addressing the, the elephant in the room there. And, and Kevin, Jennifer, you know, your comments on data and the new gender, ROI, resilience, opportunity and inclusion. And also from Fiorina, the need to integrate women in the supply chain. Talking of catalysts, and I'm going to move on to, I guess, my favorite topic, trade finance. How can companies like 2X Collaborative really work to channel investment, I guess, not just into, into trade finance, SME finance more widely, given the 5.2 trillion unmet SME finance gap and the 1.7 trillion gap for women entrepreneurs? Yeah, so let me give you a bit of a flavor what it looks like in practice. So we typically start with 
by giving us these real targets, collective targets and commitments. Because if there's no commitment and everybody's just talking about how great it would be to solve a problem, you're not moving towards anything. So that's really the purpose of the 15 billion target, for example. Then um, in the TWIX Collaborative, we have these very active communities of practice where we bring together practitioners who are solving real problems. So we're co-investing together. We're identifying the market opportunities. We're doing the very practical on-the-ground research together to identify where the gaps where the opportunities, how do you develop product to meet those needs. And then we have these uh, peer learning communities and a knowledge exchange where we are really engaging with how are you doing it to solve that particular problem? What can, for example, a financial institution in the Dominican Republic learn from one in Costa Rica, for example, in how to solve a very similar problem, but taking the local context into consideration. So it's really not reinventing the wheel, not duplicating efforts, but learning very practically. And then taking that knowledge knowledge and developing together with the practitioners toolkit that we then make available for the broader community and build capacity around those. To give you an, an idea of what this might look like, for example, when COVID started, our communities of practice together did research in the sense of really talking to in real time to women entrepreneurs, what, how they are adapting to the COVID situation, what's happening on the ground. And what we saw was that many of these MSMEs that are women owned and led were really the first in their market to innovate when it comes to, for example, mask production, but also thinking about how they can respond to market trends and opportunities that they're seeing, how they can get involved in international trade. What was particularly interesting in COVID was this shift to digital. So women entrepreneurs women, like small businesses, were really pivoting, developing more digital business models and starting to engage also more in trade and leveraging digital technology to get to new markets and new customers. That was really phenomenal. And so we worked in our community of practice on, for example, we have one on financial and digital inclusion with the practitioners. So with the investment managers, but also with the lenders, the loan officers on the ground on how do you now provide the type of financial products, but also non-financial products like, for example, digital platforms to connect these women to market to the point that we heard from Kevin, you know, like where are some of the structural barriers or kind of the red tape, quote unquote, that we can address together and really taking those real insights to develop um, gender smart products. Another very quick example, we were working together with a financial institution in Mexico, a leasing company, who wanted to launch, and they're not a big player, they're a small uh, financial institution in the Mexican context. They wanted to launch a gender bond that's also a green bond and an SME bond in the local capital market. So we did um, a whole kind of gender analysis with them on the market opportunity and identified that especially in trade finance, there were really interesting opportunities with the gender lens, looking at the agribusiness value chain and gender smart businesses in the agri value chain and gender smart being defined as these five to X criteria that I mentioned. And so working with them on exporting and becoming like leading gender lens players. So really interesting. And then that was the portfolio of the bond that went into the capital market. So some of those innovations are really inspiring our members to do a lot more. And that's how we're kind of building capacity, but then also really moving the money, which is very important to our work. How's the bond performing at the moment? <laughs> Excellent, of course. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I like examples. They're great job. I guess moving on, you know, we've talked about the financing gap. Asia is disproportionately affected by this. And I think, Jennifer, I'd like you to give a bit more of an example of potential models that can help address some of these persistent gaps, especially with public and private market cooperation. How can we use techniques to mobilize capital and get them into perhaps Southeast Asian markets? So from the perspective of public and private sector working together on different models, um, if we think about, you know, from the financing gap perspective, if we think about on the capital side, how to build out more financing solutions there and innovative solutions, I think it comes back to previous comment around perceptions around risk and how to think about risk. So often um, the private sector is not getting involved because they see that there's better investment opportunities and markets that they understand well and that the markets we're talking about in Southeast Asia are higher risk, very complicated markets. So from that perspective, there's an education that needs to happen and definitely the public sector can support that education process. It might sound basic, but actually to ensure that those investors have the information they need about region and what is actually happening in the region, it gives them a lot of confidence to know that those governments have missions on the ground, they have trade uh, bodies that are there, they have that local knowledge that can be getting shared. And then to think about innovative structures that can crowd different investors in. So for instance, from the Australia, it's very important capital market to Southeast Asia, given it's the deepest pool of capital that's right next to the region. So we've been looking at different options there with the, gov- uh, the Australian government around how we can get more Australian investors into the market. And that's looking at it both from the perspective of the family office community. There is a group of investors there in the family office community, some of them very large, that are interested in impact investing and want to support the region. But we need to find a way of getting them to come in together. For them, they would find it difficult to invest in a one-off product situation, it would be better for them to create a diversified portfolio of different products because that would de-risk it from their perspective. So then the question is, if that's not enough, if it's not just enough to create the diversified portfolio to encourage them, then what the government can do to step in to support some type of innovation like that. And that could be anything from in those structures supporting the fee burden because there is a certain fee burden or administration putting a vehicle like that together. It could also be different models around first loss capital, anything that the governments can do once they understand exactly what are the barriers that are preventing those investors from coming in. Similarly, on the institutional side, emerging markets isn't, or growth markets isn't a big percentage of the typical Australian institutional portfolio. So there, what can be done to actually encourage them to actually look at diversifying more into emerging markets or to consider investing more with women's perspective. And for some of those institutions, their positioning in the market, they could be managing the retirement savings for women members and going to market with an approach that as an institution, we really support women. Come and move your retirement savings into our institution. So then we need those institutions to be following through to ensure that within their investment programs, they are investing in a way that matches their members' interests are. So for our fund, contrasting from a regional perspective, our anchor investor in our fund is actually a Danish pension plan, which is its member base is heavily women's oriented. So they were particularly keen to diversify 
into products. They believed their woman members would be supporting and would really want their retirement savings to be used for from an investment perspective and having the belief that these types of products will generate the returns that they need within their portfolio. Thank you very much. And I guess to that, Susan, how has technology changed the landscape? And can you give us some examples of initiatives that really do enable inclusive finance for women-owned SME resilience in global trade? I think it's, it's helpful to maybe talk about the British International Investment, BII, which is the UK's development finance initiative. It was formerly CDC, so some of you may know it in, in, under that uh, brand. So it's a major part of the UK's British investment investment partnerships to invest and mobilise up to $8 billion a year by 2025 in developing markets. And under BII's new five-year strategy, BII will continue to increase the quantity and quality of investments directed towards women in developing countries. BII is incorporating the 2x uh, gender lend investment criteria, Jessica, you'll be pleased to know, into its impact score for all investments and has set a new target of at least 25% of annual investment commitments being in 2x qualified investments over the strategy period. This approach will see BII place a stronger focus on gender data collection and measurement in BII's portfolio. Another initiative funded by the UK government is FSD Africa, which invests in solutions that broaden access to finance for small firms and financial services for underserved community and in ventures that strengthen local currencies and remove barriers to capital raising for SMEs, providing low-risk, long-term finance to the SME sector. So if we can continue with the pace of technological change, then we should be able to ensure adequate trade financing to allow women-owned MSEs to access timely trade finance, and that would allow them to build and strengthen their businesses to aid economic recovery and resilience. Because it hasn't been said, I want to also signpost the fact that we know women are constrained in their access to technology and the digital divide is growing and people without access to the internet and other ICTs are at a socioeconomic disadvantage. This divide is perpetuated by systematic gender inequality in developing countries where girls and women struggle to afford technology and internet access. Uh, worldwide, there are some 327 million fewer women than men with access to smartphone and mobile internet. And recent research found that a failure to ensure women have equal access to the internet has cost low-income countries over a trillion US dollars over the past decade and could mean an additional loss, 500 billion by 2025 if governments don't take access, um, don't take action. So I think it's really important to, to say that um, although, although so we're obviously all extremely passionate about this and, and optimistic. There's a lot more to be done to leverage technology to enable inclusive finance for um, women-owned MSEs, resilience in, glo in global trade. Thank you very much, Susan. I'm very conscious of time, so I'm going to open the floor for a very quick-fire Q&A. We've got around five to six minutes or so, so please pop your hand up. And if I could also ask when you ask a question, say who you are and where you're from as well. Hi, hello. Uh, my name is Berenice Rangel, and I come from Mexico City. In Mexico City, I also uh, lead a private equity fund uh, investing in women. I would like to know how many enterprises have you invested in the whole world? Because I understand that your fund is international or not. So the way the 2X 
a challenge was set up is that it's not a separate fund because we didn't want to create, you know, kind of a pink silo vehicle where we wanted to change business as usual. That's why when we put out the 15 million, uh, billion target, it means that every member institution, so for example, BII, but also the others, um, are each kind of contributing with their own target to the overall target. That also, you know, that's great because it's really making this core business gender smart, but it has the limitation that it is kind of within the investment strategy, criteria, et cetera, that these institutions have. So, you know, like in terms of ticket size or innovation, you would have to change all the way these institutions think about products and allocating capital. So we have a newer initiative to Ignite, which is really this market building blended facility that we're currently raising, where we are kind of reinventing the system of finance, basically, and the criteria to really look where's capital most needed. And we're actually backing pioneering female-led fund managers, so we should definitely talk, <laughs> um, that have very intentional gender smart strategies and innovative strategies. So like, like Jennifer, you know, to really put capital behind them because we believe that that's the most powerful way to, to really solve this market failure that we're currently seeing. Thank you, Jessica. Kevin. Thank you. Yes. Um, I, I'd just like to reflect, uh, we've talked around fintech and how blockchain is, is uh, changing the uh, potential way that trade operates. So it's not just about trade supply chains, it's also about finance. So we're the institute involved, for example, in, in an African trade corridor and distributed ledger technology with advanced supply chain data is becoming quite a big thing globally. But what we've got to make sure it's an opportunity, but it's not just the big businesses that are able to take advantage of it. So it would be good to see some digital trade corridors focused on women business. Thinking about Southeast Asia, I guess there's an opportunity in CPTPP to introduce something as well and MISMI. So it's really important the future of trade, we talked around digital documentation, legal entity identifiers, that it's available to all and that understanding is there and it's not just the big businesses that can take advantage of it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kevin. Any other questions? One last thought. Uh, I'm working with Jessica at 2X Collaborative. And first of all, I would like to thank our host here at WTO to organize this particular session. And I'm very keen to say that on their journey from, what is it, aid to trade to invest for trade, we would love to join hands and create a women invest for trade uh, session at uh, next year or the year thereafter's event. So just, you know, I think to summarize our conversation, I think women invest for trade would be a fantastic next step yeah. on our collective journey. We're in a really difficult market at the moment. It, multiple overlapping crises, compounding shocks. Yeah, as Ngozi said this morning, we could be going into a global financial crisis. And that's kind of where we're starting from. And I think resilience here is key. There are five take-homes from today's session. Firstly, really looking at fintech as an enabler, as a use case across lots of different sectors and sections. Investment, and we heard some examples of pension plans in, in European markets and innovative financing structures, bonds, etc., securitizations that can really help pummel investment into women-owned businesses and create those asset classes, which enables more financing to be mobilized and put straight into women-owned businesses. We talked a lot about public-private partnerships, and we've got some really good examples from the WTO, from the UK, etc., to really support and invest in, in women-owned businesses. I think data is absolutely key, and, and we're currently, it's either an excuse or we're not at a place yet where we have enough data flowing in to really assess the problem, analyze, and, and then actually act with some concrete actions. And finally, education. There's a digital divide. There is a, a huge problem with financial literacy, and we really need to work harder on that. So with that in mind, I'd like to thank, once again, Jessica Espinosa, Jen 
Jennifer Buckley, Susan Barton, and I'd like to hand back over to Noreen to close this session. Thank you, everybody, for attending. I would like to thank the respondents from the floor, Kevin, Ryan, and Fiorina, and the other respondents who are also answering our questions. And we look forward to seeing you at our next session as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.